I felt like there was a coloured kind of floor under us, illuminating <laughs> Saturday Night Fever style. Yeah, oh, for wow. real. Yeah, love it was that. good. Yeah, don't mind it. Mm. Okay, have a bop to it. Put you yep. in a good mood. Energy. We'll see if we stick to it anyway. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Cars Guide podcast, where we tear down, pressure test, and rebuild the issues of the automotive week. I'm James, and with me are Matt, G'day, and Tom. Yep. This week, among other things, we'll look at hard-working tradie that knows how to charge, fast Italians in Germany, and the great Cars Guide debate. So stay with us. But first, must watch. Ah, so first up, Tesla's next vehicle software update, which is 9.0, will include several playable Atari games as new Easter eggs. Right. Okay. So the end of Atari was actually E.T., the game E.T., so hopefully that's in there. Yeah. Um, but I suppose your others, uh, like Tempest and Pole Position and Missile Command, um, they're all going to be there. So Elon's put that out on the Twitters and right. people are frothing about it. Good. They're, they're loving that. Good for driver distraction. Yeah, it strikes me as the opposite <laughs> of a safety feature. Although it does remind me of what you did a couple of weeks ago with Street Fighter and the Honda Civic. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So... Uh, for the viewers, I, I played uh, Street Fighter on the Honda Civic's multimedia display because, uh, unlike a lot of cars, it actually has an HDMI input, so you ah, can plug. Right, gotcha. Yeah, you can yeah, plug great. game consoles into great. the center screen, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Well, I suppose when your Tesla is uh, on uh, autopilot, you can yeah. then be playing your Atari game, wow. which is the whole package. Really, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? What um, a way to live. Next up, also says um, uh, the dear leader says that uh, he's <laughs> going to be adding uh, camping and party mode to the Model S and the X and the three. So all the current models, and what that means is you can have forty-eight hours worth of you know power, so you can party on. Right. And Elon says that big batteries rock. So this is <laughs> okay. the, it's one mode: party and camper mode. I think it's the same thing, right. but it's just partying or camping or whatever you want for 48 hours straight. So I guess the, that 48 hours might be variable depending on how hard you party. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on what kind of stereo, uh, stereo you've got. Yes. Um, now, the other interesting little snippet here is that Tesla is being countersued by whistleblower Martin Tripp, um, who Elon accused on Twitter of sabotage and a shooting threat. Right. Now, apparently what Trip has claimed uh, is that there was some reuse of, ex, ex, um, what do I want to say, discarded materials in the production process. Right. Some of them battery packs that were broken but glued together and just shout, like slammed into Tesla Model 3s to keep the numbers rolling out the oh door. God. Which, uh, yeah, okay, that's his claim. We're not saying there's any validity to that. Um, so there's suing, counter-suing, that'll all be very interesting and, to follow. And it was done in a tent, which is even It was done in the wedding, uh, you know, marquee <laughs> that, uh, that they'd hired. So Good on them. There's that. And nice. look, um, the fact is that Tesla Model 3 production, according to Tesla, i.e. Elon, hit 5,000 a week multiple times in July. Now, okay, I thought they only claimed once. Yeah. That's a week, okay, 5,000 a week. 
But um, anyway, despite that, Business Insider reports that Q2 cash burn for Tesla was still $739 million. Right. Mm. So they're going backwards I guess you could, every minute. You could have had several instances of 5000 a week if you counted like Tuesday to Tuesday, then Wednesday to Wednesday, Thursday to Thursday. Yeah, maybe. But that's just... How you cook the books. Yeah. On the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Or is it somewhere between, you know, two and three of those weeks because there's only four weeks in a month. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's the claim. Very interesting because the Bloomberg Model 3 tracker still has things at 4385 right. a week. So that's where we're at on that yardstick. So moving on, we'll leave the dear leader until <laughs> next week and see what else pops up. In terms of our news, a much-anticipated new arrival, the Mercedes-Benz V6 X-Class has lobbed and it's 73 and a bit thousand dollars before on-road costs. Matt, we do think that leaves it in the great dual cab ute Expensive yeah. is where it leaves yeah. it. Um, there's a uh, Volkswagen Amarok Sportline V6, which is selling at the moment at 53,990 drive away. Yep. So 73,270 plus on-road costs. You're looking at nearly $80,000 on the road. Yep. Uh, that's too much. Yeah. But, you know, it has the Mercedes badge and people will be drawn to that. Because when all said and done, it is actually a work truck. Yes. It's focused on being a work truck. Yeah. And much and all, as these dual-cab utes are increasingly family transport, lifestyle fun on the weekend, work truck during business hours and whatever, this Mercedes-Benz with the three-pointed star on the bonnet is still very much a commercial vehicle and yeah. it's being marketed by Mercedes-Benz vans yeah. um, in this market. So it's got to compete with cars like that Amarok. Exactly. And, you know, the Nissan that it's kind of sort of pretty closely based on. And you look at Ranger Raptor as well. As we saw last week, it launched and it's a $75,000 ute, but it's a much more muscly, a much more manly, a much more robuster adventurer yeah. style yet yeah. yeah. but and this is doesn't have a v6 doesn't have a v6 that's so, correct yeah, that's and right. you know you see the comments coming in that's going to mean a lot to a lot of people yeah. yes and as much as ford would say look the actual performance is there irrespective yeah. of the number of cylinders perception counts for a, yeah. Heck of a oh, lot yeah. you know yeah um in most markets but in in that one in terms of the raptor particular oh if if you rock up to the worksite in a in an amarok four-cylinder people will laugh at you but right. if you've got the v6 open oh I know that happened to Tom several times. Yeah, yeah. He was the laughing stock. Mm. You couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Um, but okay, that's that's fine. We'll look. The, the the proof of the pudding will be in the selling. You know, yeah. we'll we'll see how many they shift. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because it's it's like now they're trying to push that market as far as it'll go. Yeah. How much are actually actually people willing to pay for a dual cab Ute? Yeah, yeah. precisely. Well, like, we saw Ram uh, with the fifteen hundred launching locally. Yeah. Um, at that launch was last month, I think, uh, and we haven't driven it yet. But you know, it's starting at eighty nine or whatever. Yeah. But it's a bigger Ute, so I guess that matters to some people. It's kind of an interesting one because when you step right up to heavy commercial trucks, yeah, and Mercedes Benz is obviously a player there in prime movers and big rigid trucks and things. The badge doesn't matter half as much. Yeah. Yes, it has a great reputation, but it's what's the fuel economy, what's the reliability, yeah. what kind of upkeep to it, what's yeah. the maintenance Cost cycles, of ownership. all that yeah. stuff. So I'm just as likely to buy um, a Hino as a Kenworth, as yeah. a Merc, depending on how those things add up. Yeah. The other end of the scale is you've got an S-Class sedan and that's all about the badge and the luxury and whatever. 
somewhere in between, <laughs> there's this field where are you really about what the truck can do mm. or you're about the badge yeah. on the grill? It'll be interesting to see where this one kind of fits, you know. I've always, since I first drove the X-Class four-cylinder um, a while ago now, it yeah, I've always thought I think the V6 is going to be the one to wait for. Yeah, right. So I'm really looking forward to driving it. But much and all as Tom gets laughed off the job site, you know, for turning up in a four-cylinder, maybe you get laughed off the job site for having paid best part of 80 grand for mm. your dual-cab ute. It's yeah. like, you know, what are you, you tosser? Come yeah, on. and if you're buying the top-spec one, it's 79, and then, you know, you probably want a few... Well, you probably need to have a few options on it because even at 79 grand, it's not the most luxuriously equipped ute in the segment. Yeah. So you could be looking at nearly 100 grand on the road. I mean, we've seen four-cylinder ones on the market... At 90. So yeah, it's, wow. it's crazy money. Yep. Do you think that 90 is because of the factory options or because of aftermarket stuff that's been put on? The There's a lot car. of factory options to add. Right. Um, but you can, I mean, you can go crazy with a bit of aftermarket nonsense if you want to. But, yep. I mean, just imagine one day in a few years' time when they're selling a, a sorry, an X-Class V6 with an AMG styling pack, which yeah. will probably eventually happen. Yep. Um, you know, it could be a hundred grand before yeah. on roads. So could be. I think yeah. You see that price seventy three two seventy. How many do you reckon are actually gonna be we'll even see. roughly close to that number? Yeah. We will see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Now, on to other news and in the the kind of falling dominoes on the whole warranty front. Yeah. The la- latest domino to fall is Mazda. So now they've gone to a five year unlimited kilometer warranty following Holden and Ford being pretty big players that went that way a little while ago. And it starts to put some pretty serious pressure on the market leader, uh, namely Toyota. Of course, you've got Kia, which has been out there with a seven-year unlimited since 2014. So for four years, they've had that in market and only now Mazda goes from three to five. But Tom, Toyota's still at three years unlimited. It's got to happen, right? This is just inevitable. I think... I feel like every time we write a review, um, you've got a lot points off if they're not hitting that five years at least. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think Toyota for the longest time hasn't had to care because they've shoveled so many units, especially uh, you know for fleets and such. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think you know the the clock's ticking. Yes. The time and, has come. And we must say we've just left must uh, must watch behind. But Tesla is out there with eight years and technically unlimited, although I think it's on mechanical and electrical. Mm. components is 160 which yeah. seems like a bit of a yeah. get out of jail clause but still eight years they're yeah. they're out there with that which is pretty impressive yeah it is and i think like you say toyota has sold on the fact that it's known as a reliable brand and it hasn't needed to go that extra step yeah. where more and more you're hearing problems you might have heard problems about holdens you might have heard problems about fords and i don't really haven't heard much with mazda having problems but they've obviously judge that there's a market perception that five year is where people need to be obviously the ACCC is looking into car warranties as well yep and it's one of those things where you've got to move or you'll be forced to move so too true interestingly and I'll need to investigate this a little bit further but the BT50 ute up until this and maybe after this has only had a two year unlimited warranty is that right yeah wow so in the in the finer details, it says you'll be covered for a two-year unlimited kilometer warranty, or up to three years limited to a hundred thousand if you don't reach a hundred thousand in the first two years. Is that just for the BT50? Just for BT50. Okay. That's very interesting, That's isn't very it? Weird. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But 
It's one of those things. And like you say, the the other brands, I've spoken to Subaru and they said that the market, you know, might be asking for it, but they're yeah. doing promotional things with warranty. And there's a few brands that do promotional things. I think Holden learnt its lesson that True. you can't have warranty as a promo thing. Dropping it's, in and out of the market. It, yeah. You're just isolating buyers who missed out on it by a week or or you know, bought the car before they did the promo thing. It's just it's silly. Y- you're right. Much and all as we're singling out Toyota, you've also got Nissan, you've got Volkswagen, Subaru. They're yeah. still at three years uh, unlimited. Mm-hmm. So the pressure's on them as well. And look, if you go back, say, a few decades, 30 years, mm-hmm. there were some pretty crappy cars around. Yeah. And it was always, the warranty was always, is that a really ordinary brand trying to underpin its worth and convince you that there's a safety net? Or is it a really strong brand, so confident of its product that you don't have to worry and they're not worried uh, for that period of time? I think it's now very much the latter. Yeah. And it's sort of a marketing tool just to reassure people. So, yeah, Toyota's been able to rest on its laurels to yeah. a certain degree, but now I think they have to meet the market. But look at what the seven-year thing's done for Kia sales. I mean, yeah, they've, they've skyrocketed. And if, you, you know, if you're buying a used Kia now, a four-year-old Kia yep. that's still got the equivalent of... A Toyota, Nissan, Subaru, warranty or Volkswagen yeah, warranty. Yeah, that's on it. so telling. How good is that? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you might be paying a third of the cost of the new car, but you're yeah. getting a new car warranty. There's a lot, actually, of, a lot of warranty left on your Falcon, isn't there, Tom? <laughs> Still, I think it's long past. It was uh, a 2000, 2009 model, so yeah, right. So you um, haven't got long to go. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I trust it. Uh-huh. But but no, I was actually looking at uh, used values for old uh, Sportages, and oh, yeah. you can see the date that that seven-year warranty started. Yeah. The used value just skyrocketed, and it was good before that. Yeah. It was a five-year before that. So good on Kia for committing to the market. You know, yeah. and the Korean brands they understand that there's. There's a, a, a thing to be grabbed there that some other brands haven't quite got the idea of yet. That if you get a customer in and you keep them, they're, yeah. there, they're there for life. Well, that's They'll right. tell their friends. You know, yeah, If you're yeah. good to them, they'll yes. be good to you. And really, uh, notwithstanding Tesla, they're still one out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Four years after making that move, uh, a very bold one, they're mm-hmm. still out there on their own. It so. makes you wonder if the other brands are a bit scared of the potential costs of doing such yeah, a warranty. It does. And I think that's a, it's a balance, uh, like going back to Toyota again, it's probably just a balance sheet thing for them. Yeah. They've probably looked at it and gone, eh. Yeah, we yeah. can compromise yeah. on that and still get our numbers. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if that uh, holds out. But uh, look, another one, and we're talking about warranties, we're talking about brands, we're talking about Korean brands. Mm-hmm. Here's one that's been reloaded for the Australian market, and that's Sanyong, which was previously imported, distributed by a private uh, enterprise, yep. but is now for the first time for the brand, as I understand, yes, it, a factory subsidiary. So come in as its own shop in Australia. Yeah. And Matt, you've driven all of the models. They're they're going to launch. I have. Give us, give us the high level thumbnail on what they've got. All right. So first of all, they're looking at a seven year warranty, which is right important. Yep. Um, it could be the thing that will make or break the brand if they decide to come in with a five year warranty, which they. Uh, get get from the factory. That's a five year warranty. So Australia is rallying for a seven year warranty for a launch in November, where there will be four models. Right. So there will be the Tivoli, which is a small SUV competing with the likes of the CX three and Nissan Qashqai and those sorts of vehicles. Not a small theatre where you know <laughs> show tunes will be. No. Well, okay, not that I'm fine. aware of. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> then there's the Tivoli XLV. 
okay. which is a stretched version of the Tivoli with a slightly higher roof, and it's a very, very practical small SUV. So you'd sort of look at it as a rival to the Honda HRV because it's got the practicality thing going for it. Um, it's about the size of a BMW X1, not that much smaller than a previous generation Mazda CX-5. So it's a pretty sizable small SUV if there can be such a thing. Righto, yep. Then there's the next size up in, well, it's two sizes up in the SUV ranks is the Rexton. Rexton, yep. Um, and it's sort of a competitor to, you'd say, a Pajero Sport, an Isuzu MUX, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, probably a little bit cheaper. It might be priced around the same area as the LDV D90. Righto. Which is, you know, a Chinese Chinese made. built one, yep. yep. But it's only available with petrol where the Rexton will have petrol and diesel, diesel. which is great you know, to be able to offer that to buyers strong towing all that sort of stuff and then there's the the guy up behind you on the screen there the musso yeah which is based off the rexton suv yes um but with some well no boot it's just got a chopped off back end and as i read in your story it's kind of the inverse of normal practice yeah in that things like the toyota fortuna um are a an suv version of the uh, what Hilux. do I want to say? Of the Hilux, yeah. of course. And the Ranger and Everest yep. and, and that kind of stuff. This came first. Yeah, yeah. So Rexton comes first. Yep. Musso comes, comes off after. the back of it. Yeah. So and it is still a ladder chassis though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and there's going to be two versions of Musso, which is really critical because there's going to be a short version, which is the one you see up there. Yep. With, it's only got a 1300 mil tub, which is quite small. Most... You know, most dual cab utes have about fifteen hundred and fifty millimeters of a, tub length. Might not sound much, but that's a that's a pretty significant difference, actually. It is, yeah. yeah, and then they're going to build a longer version with nearly sixteen hundred mils of tub length. Okay. So it'll be good to have two options for buyers. But the really cool thing about the Musso in the long version is you're going to be able to have a leaf spring rear end or a coil spring. Oh, rear is that end, right? Oh. Depending on what you want. Want. Yeah. Wow, that, so is that, are they, will they be alone in that? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. they will be. Yeah. So there are, I mean, Nissan has a coil spring rear end in dual cabs and a leaf spring rear end in single and extra cabs, but this will be the first dual cab to have the option of, of coil yeah. or... Will that leaf. depend on spec level or is it an independent option? Not sure yet. They haven't, they haven't clarified it, but um, I would imagine that it could be based on spec. Yeah. So they might do a work-focused one and with a higher payload and a, a high, maybe, I guess they'll both have the same towing capacity, but maybe not. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Cool. It's cool. Yeah, great. Musso, it's just yet another dual cab ute. The, yeah. the, the kind of spread of offerings in that market yeah. uh, just continues to grow unstoppable. Exactly right. Mm. Speaking of unstoppable, now a word from our sponsors. In 1914, two Aussie visionaries decided it was time for a new kind of car. After meeting face down on the floor of the Bridge Hotel in the Chuka, mates Ern Alcock and Horry Wheeler began working on their dream, and three years later the Winton Motor Company was born. Our founders knew Australians needed a rugged car for tough local conditions with no-nonsense performance and breakthrough design. Their first production model, the 15, known to Winton enthusiasts the world over as the Mongo, was an unstoppable 15-cylinder force of nature, which set the benchmark for the Wanderers, Wildcats 
and turbos that have followed in its illustrious wheel tracks. As Prime Minister Billy Hughes, standing next to the first Mongo, uttered those famous words, She's a Ute, Australians knew they had a winner on their hands. And 101 years later, Winton remains at the frontier of progress and performance, with the groundbreaking 2018 Winton Turbo exported to more than 100 countries. We think Ern and Horry would approve. The Winton Motor Company. Go, Australia! Okay, that begs the question, where's Frosty? He sends his apologies, but he's been in France handling PR for, you know, Team Winton. Has he? This year's Tour de France. Um, You know, he was in Paris on Sunday at the finish of the final Champs-Élysées stage, or Des's (laughs) Champs-Élysées, as Frosty uh, always calls it. Uh, Not the result the team wanted. Uh, They they didn't finish in the top group, but uh, he was pretty happy overall. There was a small incident uh, between Frosty, the head of the movie star team, and former French president Francois Hollande in a bar Mm. uh, on the left bank that evening, but a few strategically placed euros and, um, you know, some uh, stitches, half a dozen stitches, fixed all that up. It's no problem. Good on him. Okay, so... uh, I mean... Got to stand up for yourself. You do, you do. (laughs) Now, where are we? Don't condone violence. (laughs) The Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, quite rightly has taken it upon themselves. Now, for people that don't know, the FCAI is a representative body for all of the car brands that are selling new cars in the Australian market. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funded by all of the different brands, and the FCAI has decided to get on with helping people find out whether or not their car has a Takata-impacted airbag. Um, It's going to be called... uh, The campaign is going to be called... Where are we? Uh... Is my airbag safe? No, no. Oh, look, that's the uh, that's the website. Uh, anyway, what have they called it? I think it. Don't, I think it's. Uh, don't die wondering. Don't die wondering. There you go. There Thank you, you go. very much, Matt. Um, <laughs> got me out of that one. And there's the website that you mentioned though is fantastic. Yes, it's called ismyairbagsafe.com.au. And I've got to say, our eldest daughter has just bought her first car. It's a yep. second-hand Toyota. It's a 2008 model. And I went on to that website. All you do is put the rego number in. It then coughs up the VIN, and then you can take that VIN, clickable straight from the FCI site, off to Toyota, and it said, actually, your car, that car, is, is in the batch of cars that may be impacted by this whole thing, then checked it, and the recall's been done. So you're able Great. to tell, as a second-hand car buyer, whether or not your car has been fixed up. You know, When we bought the car, there are little recall patches on the yep. A-pillar, yep. but not quite sure which ones they are, so that was really good peace of mind. So well, yeah. Just to give you an idea, I've just typed in my number plate yeah, right. for my little Volkswagen down up. Yeah. Um, and it's popped up. Your vehicle's airbags may be affected by the recall. Your okay. Volkswagen up is identified as affected by the recall. Yeah. So wow. yep. I've got to check with Volkswagen and see what I've got to do next. Yeah, and it's, exactly. It could save my life. That's the thing yeah. that I don't think has been yeah. really presented well enough to the public is yeah. that people have died because of their airbags, yeah. and that's not okay. Yeah, you know? exactly. There's, and the, like the general level of kind of apathy that it's gotten to with some users is they've had literal Mitsubishi employees knocking on people's doors being like, please change this, we've asked you a million times, we've sent you the letters, we've tried, yeah. Yeah. we're now sending an employee to your door. It Like, it's, it's a grenade in mm. your steering wheel, guys. Yeah. Have it a is. look. <laughs> I mean, it was largely through um, various parts of the Takata business not paying proper attention to the storage of chemicals and other things that went into the propellant for these airbags. 
and in humid uh, areas, uh, parts of the actual ring that retains the explosive parts of the airbag can degrade and actually when the airbag deploys, it's like being shot with a shotgun. Yeah. The metal shrapnel will come out at you. So the ultimate irony being that something that's meant to keep you safe yeah. uh, can kill you. And there have been a lot of deaths and injuries around the world. It's, it's now standing as definitely the biggest recall in the auto industry's history and possibly the biggest recall ever yeah. um, in commercial terms. Yeah. So it's massive. I would say get to that website and get onto it. And there are two types. There's an alpha and beta bag. Mm -hmm. The alpha bag is the one that at this stage is more likely to be volatile. And the recommendation is if you have one of those airbags fitted, don't drive your car. Yeah. Wow. Um, stop it. Put it on a flatbed. Get it to the dealer. Don't drive it. It's yep. that dangerous. Wow. So, and, of course, the dealer will cover all the costs for replacing the airbag or airbags yep. in some cases. Yep. So don't be worried that it might cost you something. All it will cost was your time and hopefully not your life. Yeah, exactly mm. right. All right. So moving on, Lamborghini mm. uh, has managed to wrest the title of quickest production car around the Nürburgring from Porsche. So it's just a battle of the big swinging thingos to determine, <laughs> you know, who is fastest around there. And this is a car that hasn't even been launched yet. Uh, we're talking about the Lambo SVJ. So it's the Aventador Super Veloce Yota, yeah. uh, which is going to be launched later this year. It was steered by a factory driver, Marco Mapelli. What a great name. And it went around there in 644.97. Uh, versus the GT2 RS 911's time of 647.30. So it continues. Mm. Does anyone care? We did. We cared <laughs> enough to put it on the podcast. Well. <laughs> that exhale of breath would say otherwise. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, these yeah. cars are in the realm of of the very very small percent yeah. um and i you know i get i get the bragging rights i get the uh you know what swinging rights yeah. that comes with it yeah but you know it's sort of does it send any sort of good message apart from oh i drive a really fast car tom does it fire you up uh look not 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 really i mean it, it they're broken so frequently now it's sort of and they have all mm. these different categories and it just sort of all washes into this kind of oh someone went to the Nürburgring today right 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 yeah. Um, yeah. but uh, that having been said as you said the car hasn't even been released yet yeah. as you can see there it's in some very cool looking camouflage isn't yeah. that the coolest looking camouflage I you think I'd probably order mine in that paint scan <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it looks pretty good it, it, it looks great for a camouflage car yeah. um, but there is some pretty amazing work that's gone into this car they've uh, apparently a lot of the time shaved off from the last run they did, which was in the Huracan, is all down to the um, the aero work they've done. So it has all sorts of active aero and crazy right. moving parts and right. things. And because um, really, it's the last quarter of that lap is yeah. just absolutely flat out gun yeah. barrel straight. Yeah. So the aero, yeah, through the corners, but also efficiency and getting the top speed and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's an amazing feat of technology. Um, it's an uh, amazing feat for the driver, obviously. Yeah. Um, but good on yeah. Marco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think double I think, M as we call him. <laughs> yeah, deep down you're probably right. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> <laughs> now talking of who cares, uh, Queenie. Oh yeah, Queen Elizabeth. Mm. We're really talking to the majority of people here. These two are mates for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's obviously you know come up against a bit of a hard time and has to offload a couple of vehicles. Mm. She's cleaning out the shed. This is this is a pre. This is a will. 
pre-will sale, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Everything must go. Every- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll I wanna- cash in, in before I cash out. <laughs> cash in my chips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a couple of Rolls, Rolls Royces. Tom, you wrote this story. I did. Tell us about it. Bonhams are going to put them under the gavel, as it were. Yeah, so at their, uh, at their Good, Goodwood Revival auction, uh, which is on the 8th of September, um, they're going to auction off uh, a bunch of Rolls Royces. There's actually quite a few in, in the collection there, there um, that are going under the hammer. So, but two of them actually belong in the Royal Muse, or they have belonged in the Royal Muse before. Um, they, they're personal, personal property of, uh, you know, the Queen herself. Yeah. Um, the most interesting one, I think, is definitely the top one because uh, it's a Phantom Four, and yes. a lot of people might not know, but the Phantom Four is kind of special among Rolls Royces because right. only eighteen of them were built. Built. Um, originally, seventeen of which Queen Elizabeth has. <laughs> well, yeah, almost, almost. Okay. Um, a few went to the Middle East, but originally one was built for the royal family. Uh, they uh, dictators, various dictators around the world, saw this thing and they wanted one. So right. Rolls Royce produced eighteen, but there's only eighteen chassis. This one, on top of all that, is special in that it's the only one that was built as a, a landaulet. So, right. So um, that means the rear part of the roof. Is retractable? Yeah, basically it's a limo, so it's got a yep. hard top, and then yep. you've got a convertible bit at the back there. So wow. Yeah. Well, okay. I wonder what you'd do with it, but uh, <laughs> anyway, who knows? Someone might raise their paddle <laughs> and decide that they want to own that that car. The price for anyone interested: one point eight million Australian dollars. They expect it minimum. Right. Oh, which, okay. which in the scheme of exotic auction results, is actually pretty affordable. Yeah, yep. it's not that bad. All right. <laughs> now, we're <laughs> going to do a couple of quick whip rounds. This is All our right. new segment called Blowing a Gasket, where <laughs> right. we're going to have a red-hot go on opinions. And this one is going to be manual versus automatic. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your preference? Now, this question <laughs> posed a few years ago may have been completely different. We're talking 2018. It depends on context, but just... Shoot from the hip. What's your preference these days in terms of manual or automatic? Tom. I'm I'm in the market for a, a manual rear wheel drive car at the moment. You are. Yep. Um. Yep. I'm I'm tired of an auto. Uh. I think definitely 2018. Uh. There's if you want to go quick, autos objectively better. Yeah. Um. No, I'd rather have a manual every day. It's it's just about being in the gear the you want to be when you yeah. want to be in there, changing all that physical yeah. involvement. Matt, where do you stand on it? I own. And an automatic and a manual. Ah. So my partner's car is a automatic Mini and yes. my car is a manual Volkswagen Up. And I don't drive my Up very much, not because it's manual, but just because I don't drive it much. Yeah. I drive her car even less. Um, but I just, I realistically, if I had to drive the same car every single day, it'd be automatic. Right. Okay. Mm. I think it totally depends on the context. Mm-hmm. And I do recall going to a... It wasn't a Porsche 911 launch. It was a gearbox launch. Right. So it was when Tiptronic arrived um, okay. in, the, I want to say, about 1990, something like that. Went to Calder Park. And the thought of an automatic 911 was just sort of laughable yeah. at that time. Like, what are they doing? This is the end of it. Oh, the whole sky is going to come crashing down. <laughs> and I remember at the end of the day thinking that was really unexpected because I thought the car would be better in manual mode on the circuit and probably out on the open road, better in auto. It was exactly the reverse because it was mm. one of the first sort of active gearboxes that I'd ever dealt with. It yeah. quickly picked up your driving style and round the track it was just great. Yeah. And then out on the open road you found yourself driving it in manual. But there's sometimes... So, sorry. Yeah, no, no. I was Go gonna, ahead. I was going to say there's nothing more annoying than an automatic that 
you can't put in a fully manual mode. Like yeah. in an intent car, like in a sporty car like the Kia Stinger that I've been driving in recent times, no fully manual mode. So it'll override you. If, yeah. if it thinks That's that you're going to hurt the yeah. gearbox by not shifting up and hitting the red line, then it'll just go, bang, you're in the next yeah. gear. I don't want the next gear. I want to blow up my engine. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the warranty should be good for that, yeah. right? I, I think Toy- <laughs> Toyotas for a while had had it so it didn't work like a manual even remotely. It was just it would give you you could move with the paddle what you wanted the top yeah. gear to be, and the car would still override yeah. you if you went too high in the revs. Well, I think mm. to your point, Matt, um, in traffic in cities, sort of driving yeah, an auto has got to be the go. And some of these dual clutch autos are so so good. Mm-hmm. You know, driving a Ferrari dual clutch that mm. changes your mind about how mm. good they can be. Um, anyway, so I'd probably say manual because I, I do I do <laughs> actually like being being able to choose the gear yeah, I want to be yeah. in well, at any given time. And you're right, you do feel more in control of everything that's happening yeah. if you are in control of the gears. But so. tell us what you think. We'd love to hear yeah, your thoughts, yeah. listeners and viewers. Let us in in on your thoughts. Now, another quick whip round. In our garage, mm-hmm. what are we in driving? Possibly more than one car, but the one that stands out. Tom, what have uh, you been? Well, I've had the Ford Mondeo yep. uh, in the last week. Really surprising. Okay. Really, it's just it's like a luxury car now. It's moved above what people's perception of what the Mondeo probably used to be in the 90s. Uh, I quite liked it's it. It's a great car. It's yeah. one of Ford's best kept secrets. Yeah. Yeah. They all they have to do is tell all, people they? about it and <laughs> people would buy it. Yeah, and I think it's on its deathbed. Yeah. Um, we've seen Ford Fusion is going to be... Yep. Soon, yep. so and that's really thanks to the US strategy, isn't it? Like, but before we go any further, you need to show the oh. lovely viewers our. I beg your pardon. Yeah. In our garage, there it is. Oh, <laughs> We've is... had graphic artists slaving over this yeah. for weeks. weeks. That's full of asbestos. He's done well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is our garage. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many cars are in there. <laughs> Just don't breathe the air. <laughs> There's also a 917K in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, Matt. Your right. primary means of transportation has yeah. been. Um. I think I've been in a Kia Stinger mostly. Yep. Uh, I've been doing a range review, looking at a few different variants of the Kia Stinger range, including the 2-litre and two versions of the 3.3-litre. Yep. Um, and I agree with 92% of Stinger buyers that the GT is the one to buy. So okay. yeah, Very good. It's been good, but I also had a little bit of time in the HSV SportsCat Plus. Yes. Which we've driven the SportsCat previously. We did a comparison against a Tickford Ranger. Um, and the SportsCat Plus adds AP racing shocks and better brakes, and it's a much better ute, but it's still not a great ute. What's the suspension under the back of that? Uh, it's a ladder frame. But coils? Yeah, co- uh, no, I, oh, I don't think so. Okay. I have to check. Yeah? I didn't even look. All right. But how did it ride? <laughs> it rode better than the last one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, just quickly, I've been in the Suzuki Swift Sport, just drove it oh. last night. Oh, yeah. And I was really surprised how much I liked it. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, good fun. Suzuki Swift's already been, always been uh, pretty handy. Mm-hmm. That car, even though there are a few hard plastics, you know, you're, you're tapping mm-hmm. the, the plastics and things, the design of it's really cool. Things, little ambient lighting bits in red, and the car drives beautifully. It's got plenty of acceleration and it's uh really agile i liked it i like it a lot i reviewed it last year i loved it very so but the question is is it worth twenty seven and a half thousand bucks which is a fair question Mm. Uh, and possibly not Mm. uh uh, yeah no no (laughs) but if if you took three or four off that definitely yeah so it's a pretty sensitive kind of price point you don't you don't have to shift it 
in a seismic way mm. uh, to, to bring it into the bounds of reason. Yeah, and I think, you know, with a brand like uh, Volkswagen with the Polo GTI, they're going to be at 30 grand plus for the, the new generation model, with which will be automatic only. There won't be a manual anymore. So, and then you've got the Ford Fiesta ST coming to challenge in that segment with a three-cylinder engine soon. So, yep. can't wait for this hot hatch battle. It'll be fun. Good. Very good. We're going to do it. Fun for everyone. I'm going to make it. <laughs> yeah. All right. With that, I think we've reached the finish line. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thanks to our Thank producer, you. Marsden, for his sterling efforts behind the scenes. He whinges that I talk to him like an idiot, but how else is he going to understand? <laughs> Thank you for listening, and please give us your thoughts on anything we've discussed today. Search for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. You can listen to and watch us on YouTube. And if you're an iTunes devotee, please rate and review us. Our newest best friend, Steve Jones, likes the use of the screen uh, for YouTube viewers. So thanks for that, Steve. I hope you can join us next week. Until then, my drive home last night was a disaster. Two cheese trucks ran into each other. Debris was everywhere. Uh, Uh. Dad. (laughs) 